Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. friends welcome back to another episode of the roto on football podcast and it has not changed it's still the most important podcast in the universe thank you for making it that way my name is josh norris it is pretty late on a thursday night that's the end of day two of the 2019 nfl combine again quick episode here recapping the day wrapping it up and spinning it forward. Uh, before we get there, I did want to mention and thank some people that reviewed the podcast as of late. Evan Gettleman, Graham Bam, Nestfla, Lord Tippy. Thank you, thank you for the reviews. I appreciate that. Um, I do want to give, you know, a little bit of attention to Drohan. And the reason being is Drohan gave us a three-star at a five-star review. And it's because he disagreed with Evan's evaluation of Divine Ozigbo. You can go back and listen to that podcast. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't leave a three-star review, which contributes to our overall rating, because you disagree with an evaluation, which is kind of just a natural thing to do when people discuss prospects. But I wouldn't have done that. Let's put it that way. Uh, so anyways, thank you all for the reviews. You can leave them, and I certainly will give you a shout-out for them as well. Um, if you enjoy this episode for any moment, hit that subscribe button. I'll have more of these review pods on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, the next four days of the NFL Combine. All right, let's get into Thursday's news. First, as you all know, Jason Witten is returning to the field. I thought the most interesting part of this well, two parts actually, was one that the Cowboys announced it. Rarely do you see a team announce news before your Adam Schefters, before your Ian Rappaports. And this one flew under the radar in that way. And so you kind of tell these were kind of behind closed door conversations um, when it really came out, especially with, you know, Jason Witten and Adam Schefter being colleagues, I guess, at ESPN. The other part that was interesting was Calvin Watkins, who obviously covers the Cowboys beat, mentioned that Jason Witten will only likely see around 25 snaps per game. As Nick Minzio put it on Roto World, it is basically the Antonio Gates diet. And we certainly have seen how Antonio Gates can be somewhat productive in that role, but not being a full-time player, not being the same Antonio Gates, we kind of expect the same thing for declining. Let's honestly say that with Jason Witten. I do think this kind of points to another fact, though how difficult it is to evaluate and develop starting caliber tight ends. Look, I'll name the tight ends that the Cowboys have drafted since selecting Jason Witten. It goes back pretty far. In 2004, Sean Ryan in the fifth round. Then you have Anthony Fasano in the second round in 2006. Martellus Bennett in the second round in 2008. John Phillips in the sixth round in 2009. James Hanna in the sixth round in 2012, Gavin Escobar in the second round in 2013, Jeff Swaim in the seventh round in 2015, Rico Gathers in the sixth round in 2016, and Dalton Schultz in the fourth round in 2018. A couple of those names, Andy Fasano and especially Martellus Bennett, are exactly kind of how I describe the evolution of the tight end position or the development of the position. 
in many ways, it's not a bad idea to let another team draft the tight end and then you sign them on their second contract. We see so many tight ends develop not in their first deal, not in their first three, four years, but when they land on a second team. I mean, it makes sense because one, how little the tight end position is being used in an inline, you know, traditional way at the college level. And two, they kind of have to merge together the qualities of a receiver and of an offensive lineman. And again, that's tough to develop at that position. And I know we've seen some really young tight ends make a major impact in the NFL immediately. I'm not going to say that that's a rare case, but someone like George Kittle kind of is. Second, we know that Kyler Murray is 5'101", meaning 5'10 and 1'8", 207 pounds, and has 9.5-inch hands. Just comparing that hand size, which you know many equate to being able to control the football more, especially in bad weather games, comparing it to last year's group, he has larger hands than Baker Mayfield, who had nine and a quarter inch hands, and Sam Donald, who has nine and three eighths inch hands. I mean, an eighth of an inch can kind of be measured differently depending on the day. But yeah, that's the easy stuff for Kyler Murray. And I mean, it's kind of interesting how different the conversation might be if he didn't hit those marks. But we also learned that Kyler Murray most likely won't do anything else the rest of the week. Obviously, he's doing the medicals and he'll do the interviews, but we're not going to see him on the field going through a workout. And we're not going to see him do any of the athletic testing. It's a bummer, but every single year I'll say it. I mean, it's these prospects' decisions. It's their agents' decisions. It's really their family decisions. And who am I, someone sitting at this desk on the train tracks, uh, <laughs> going to tell them differently? I also stumbled upon Pat McAfee's interview with Colts GM Chris Ballard. You can check out Pat McAfee's podcast. With how much coach speak and GM speak we heard this week from the podiums, uh, and I know Ballard maybe not, doesn't fit in that category because he always seems to be honest, but this was a super honest interview he had with Pat McAfee, so go and check it out on McAfee's podcast. But I do want to hit on a couple notes that I found the most interesting. First, Ballard said that the wide receivers are a very difficult position to evaluate now. And a lot of that is because they aren't facing as much physicality in the first five yards in college football as they are at the NFL level. If I can read between the lines there, to me that means when Chris Ballard sees a receiver that has a multitude of releases that face a lot of press coverage and overcame that by being physical, then that's going to be his type. He also said that, you know, since that group might not be that large, you have to rely on the traits that have succeeded in the past and hopefully you can develop those with your coaching staff. We all know that Chris Ballard has completely turned around the Colts offensive line with recent additions of Mark Lewinsky, which he basically got for free, and the Quentin Nelson pick last offseason. But it is important to note that Chris Ballard isn't against adding more to that offensive line. He says he will always invest in those positions, and the offensive lines and defensive lines will always be a priority. And in his words, in the long term, that's how you win football games. Ballard also talked about his pre-draft meetings he has with his entire staff. It certainly seems like they've been meeting for the last week, like 12, 14, 16 hour days, that they start with 1,700 prospects, and Ballard, in his words, said they're in the business of eliminating players, and they're down now to like already 216 on the board. It's just amazing that already in this process, they have fewer players on the board then that will be drafted. But as we know, those lists can go down all the way to, you know, to 150, 125, something like that. 
Speaking of offensive line groups, we're going to get those workouts finally on Friday morning, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern with offensive linemen and then running backs in the afternoon. It is worthwhile to note that, you know, a number of these top tackles have right tackle experience, specifically Jawan Taylor. And a tackle can still be picked in the top 10 to play right tackle initially and then move over to the left side. That's most likely what Mike McGlinchey's move is going to be later on in his career. I'm so glad the narrative has kind of changed in the last few years of the importance of right tackle versus left tackle because so many great edge rushers are now rushing from the right side opposite those right tackles. So the value is kind of equal in some ways, despite the contracts not necessarily reflecting it. We all know the big names, Jawan Taylor, as I mentioned, Jonah Williams, Greg Little, Andre Dillard, there's a few more, Yadni Kajust. But there are two names I want you to remember as you're watching on Friday, okay? The first is Chuma Idoga out of USC. Idoga is another one of these prospects that has left, left tackle and right tackle experience, almost played exclusively at left tackle during Senior Bowl week and was outstanding. And I'm not hearing his name at all mentioned in round one. And the other name is Titus Howard. Titus Howard is from Alabama State. Titus Howard played quarterback in high school, I think, up until his senior year, was actually a tight end recruit at Alabama State, had an extended conversation with him down in Mobile, Alabama, and he told me he put on 100 pounds since converting from tight end to tackle. Uh, He is super athletic, again, has a lot of right tackle experience as well. It would not be a shock at all to see a dude at 322 pounds run maybe in the 4.8s, the 4.9s. That's going out on a limb here, but I think Titus Howard is super nimble, and I talked about it on yesterday's episode, but if we care about edge and defensive line athleticism, we should probably also care about offensive line athleticism in order to match up with them. I do want to make a note that this year there are 57 offensive linemen at the NFL Combine. That's higher than the last two years, 47 and 48 in 2017 and 2018. So that kind of speaks to the talent that is there in this year's offensive line class. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch to say that offensive tackle might be the best position in this draft class. We also got wide receiver and tight end measurements today, along with quarterbacks. Last year, there were seven wide receivers that were 6'4 or taller, which was the most since 2003. This year didn't have that many, but it did have kind of a different type of wide receiver. There were eight wide receivers in this year's group that measured at six foot two or taller and 220 pounds. I mean, we sometimes see these tall, lean, thin receivers, but these guys were thick. And I'm super interested to see if some of them test super well, if some of them don't, and really separating themselves athletically. And To that point, I mean, I always talk about on podcasts all year long that wide receivers are not wide receivers are not wide receivers, right? At the position, there are so many different types, and that can be put in its simplest form here. Nikhil Harry and DK Metcalf measured in at 228 pounds. Meanwhile, Marquise Brown weighed in at 166 pounds. That is a 62-pound difference at the same position. Players that will be on the same field possibly asked to do the exact same things. Again, another reason we need to factor weight into the raw results that you'll get throughout the weekend. And uh, speaking of Mr. DK Metcalf, Ian Rappaport tweeted that Metcalf at that 228 pounds came in at 1.6% body fat. 
Um, not trying to pick on rap sheet here at all, but I myself have received body fat percentages from agents in the past because obviously they want, you know, their prospects, their clients to have the most positive buzz throughout the weekend. None were as low, obviously, as 1.6 body fat and none look like a superhero like DK Metcalf does. But friend of the podcast, Cleve TA, did some research, uh, found an article on ABC News that men should have at minimum 3% body fat, women 12% body fat in order to function. Um, And what do I mean by not functioning? Well, serious health problems can occur like organ failure, possibly, or even death. Um, So if we see... DK Metcalf disintegrate away and fade away like he's one of the Avengers, then we know that the 1.6% body fat might be true. Um, But again, it doesn't seem humanly possible for it to be true. That is it, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I will have another one of these podcasts on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I will be tweeting all day at Josh Norris. We will have tons of articles up on Roto World this weekend. Be sure to go and check those out. And if you found this podcast enjoyable in the least bit, be sure to hit that subscribe button, rate, and review the podcast. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 